Romans chapter 5. The next section that we arrive at this morning is 5, 12 through 21. I believe I sent that out yesterday, so hopefully at least some of you had the opportunity to preview this passage. It's, it's really is very foundational. It's a really pivotal passage. And so let's begin with prayer. Would you pray with me? Lord, thank you for uh, my church family. Thank you for our church family called Crossway Church of Goldsboro. Lord, thank you for those who are here this morning, maybe uh, from a far distance, maybe from Alabama or from other places, or maybe in greater, from greater Wayne County. Lord, thank you that you have gathered us this morning. Lord, thank you for the good news of the gospel that for believers, for those who by your grace alone are, are believers, we have not only justification, Lord, we have not only reconciliation with you, our God and Father, but we have the assurance that we will be saved. Thank you, Lord, for what Romans 5 says. As we noticed last week, that if these other things are true, then we can have no doubt, even in the midst of severe suffering, that we will be saved through Christ's life. Thank you for the blood of Christ that brings reconciliation. Thank you for the resurrection of Christ that brings confident hope of salvation from your wrath that is to come. Oh Lord, help us to fear you because your wrath is coming, but help us to see that the opposite of condemnation is justification and that we rejoice Lord, help us with assurance. Help us as Pastor Ray has already prayed, Lord, as he mentioned that we all have our stuff, that we all have our things, our trials. Lord, may we hear, Lord Jesus, your voice this morning saying, come to me. And may we say, Lord Jesus, we come. We come. We pray in his great name, amen. Romans 5. Romans 5, verse 12. You'll look there with me. It says, therefore, Romans 5, 12, just as sin came into the world through one man and death through sin, and so death spread to all men because all sin. Now, if you'll indulge me, I just want to go back again because that's a lot right there. Let's, one more time. Therefore, just as sin came into the world through one man and death through sin, and so death spread to all men because all sinned. For sin indeed was in the world before the law was given, but sin is not counted where there is no law. Yet death reigned from Adam to Moses, even over those whose sinning was 
not like the transgression of Adam, who was a type of the one who was to come. And we'll pause there for just a moment, even though the larger text is 12 through 21. I'll say this to you this morning. What one person does can have a massive effect on others. What one person does can have a massive effect on others. And when what that one person does is wrong or even we might say evil, then it can have a massively devastating effect on others. It can even lead to the death of many. So one example, one uh, common example, unfortunately, that we know in our own country recently would be uh, a shooter at a movie theater, for example. Now, the good news is this. The good news is that what one person does can have a massive effect on others, which if you didn't know, is just saying the same thing. Even just one thing, or we might say one act, one act done by one person can end up affecting an untold number of people in a big way. And so the, the ideal, the ideal would be a scenario like this. The ideal would be a scenario where one good, where one truly good or truly virtuous act is done by one person such that it overcomes the wrong or the evil act done by another. And all of the massive devastation and all of the massive destruction done by one person is overcome by another so that the latter end is far greater than even the depths of devastation that you started with. Do you see? What one person does can have a massive effect on others. And so we find ourselves here this morning in this pivotal passage. Romans 5, 12 through 21. And we want to think about these things here from God's word today. This passage today, Romans 5, 12 through 21, speaks to us about Adam and Christ. Adam and Christ. The title that I've given to this message is this, Adam, a type of the one who was to come. Really great title. It's right out of the passage, actually. We'll see that. Adam, a type of the one who was to come. Now, we always remember that Peter said, Paul, my friend Paul, wrote a lot of things that are hard to understand. And that's partially true here this morning. But there's also so much that is so clear that we need to see. Now, first of all, before diving right in this morning to Romans 5, 12 through 21, let's think about the context. Now, when I say context, I have primarily in mind the context in the scripture. What comes before verse 12? I want us to notice that for just a moment. But also, 
not only and mainly am I thinking about the context in the scripture, I'm also thinking about the context of today, Independence Day. So boys and girls uh, of all ages, uh, a, a brief story for you. Perhaps you've heard before of Peter Miller, the story of Peter Miller and his neighbor and George Washington. The story as told by Kent Hughes runs like this. During the Revolutionary War, there was a faithful preacher of the gospel by the name of Peter Miller. He lived near a fellow who hated him intensely for his Christian life and testimony. In fact, this man violently opposed him and ridiculed his followers. One day, the unbelieving man was found guilty of treason and sentenced to death. But Peter Miller was a gospel preacher. He was a good man through Jesus Christ, and his neighbor was an unbeliever. He hated Peter Miller, and he was found guilty of treason, sentenced to death. Peter Miller, as the story is told, goes to George Washington during the period of the Revolutionary War, and he appeals to George Washington for the life of his neighbor who hates him. And George Washington says to, to Reverend Peter Miller, I do not think that your friends should be pardoned. I think he, we should go through with the sentence. And Peter Miller says, oh, he's not my friend. In fact, he is my worst enemy in many ways. And as the story is told, George Washington says, you mean to tell me you've walked 60 miles to plead for the life of your worst enemy? He said, that sheds new light on this whole thing. And I believe that I will grant your request. With pardon in hand, Pastor Miller hastened to the place where his neighbor was to be executed and arrived just as the prisoner was walking to the scaffold. When the traitor saw Miller, he said, old Peter Miller has come to get his revenge by watching me die. But he was astonished as he watched the minister step out of the crowd and produce the pardon which spared his life. As I mentioned, Kent Hughes, he goes on to say this. He said, Peter Miller performed a noble act and he will be eternally commended. But this is just a shadow of what Christ did. Listen, because Christ not only obtained his enemies' pardons, but died for them to accomplish that. Christ not only obtained his enemies' pardons, but died for them to that end. See the love of God. This isn't even one of my first points. This is just the context. See the love of God in Christ. See the love of God demonstrated on the cross. How can I be sure? You say that salvation involves this idea of justification, and I am to believe in Christ, and that God has declared me righteous for the sake of Christ. How can I be sure that I will make it all the way? How can, I will be, how can I be sure that I will be saved from the wrath of God? And the Lord God gives his people, he gives his people a double testimony. He gives them the inward testimony of his love through pouring out the Holy Spirit in our hearts. And he gives us the outward testimony of his love for us in the cross of Jesus Christ. Look at chapter five, verses six through eight. For while we were still weak, at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. You see that there in Romans 5, 6? 
verse 7. For one will scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person one would dare even to die. But God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. What wondrous love is this? Oh, my soul, oh, my soul. See the love of God in Christ demonstrated on the cross. Be assured, be comforted, my brother and sister, through the double notice of God's love to you outside and inside. But what we see in our passage today is really the foundation for that. Romans 5, 1 through 11, rejoice. Romans 5, 1 through 11, in this life you will have trials. You will have suffering in this life. But rejoice because your future is sure. You have a sure and confident hope of future glory. How do we know that? It's based on the work of Christ. That's why that key word there in verse 12, therefore, therefore, this is the foundation. This is the doctrinal underpinning, the foundation for what he said in verses one through 11, which again is rejoice in future glory. See the true and better Adam today. See the true and better Adam, who is the Lord Jesus Christ. I've already mentioned to you the title this morning, Adam, a type of the one who was to come. First of all, first thing that we want to see this morning is Romans 5, 12 through 21 is a very pivotal passage, and it, what it is is Adam and Christ compared, okay? Adam and Christ compared. So just notice the structure of this passage. Notice the structure. This is how it hangs together, in other words. Look at verse 12. Therefore, just as sin came into the world through one man and death through sin, and so death spread to all men because all sin. What did he say there at the beginning? See that at the beginning of verse 12? Therefore, just as. Now, what do you think about when you hear those words, just as? Well, you think about a comparison, right? And so the structure of this passage, the, thing, the, the number one thing that holds this passage together is this idea, and I think it's especially this way if you, if you happen to have the NIV, it's just as, so also. Just as this, so also this. In the ESV from which I am preaching, it is as so, as so. So look at verse 18. Therefore, as one trespass led to condemnation for all men, so, you see that? One act of righteousness leads to justification and life for all men. Verse 19. For as by the one man's disobedience, the many were made sinners, so by the one man's obedience, the many will be made righteous. Now the law came in to increase the trespass. But where sin increased, grace abounded all the more. So that, and here's our fourth time, verse 21, as sin reigned in death, and the word so is not there, but it's, it's easily there in thought. 
as sin reigned in death, so grace also might reign through righteousness, leading to eternal life through Jesus Christ, our Lord. This is uh, the basic structure of Romans 5, 12 through 21, dear friends. Just as, so also, Adam and Christ compared. I mentioned briefly earlier uh, the bad news with the example of the shooter at the movie theater. The bad news that what one person does can have a massive effect on others. But we've also begun to think about the fact that that's a, uh, in a good way, that's a double-edged sword. Uh, that truth, that, that basic principle works both ways. What one person does can have a massive effect on others. And we see two men here this morning. We see two men. Let me also just give you a little bit more of what this passage is about. Look again at verse 12. Therefore, just as sin came into the world through one man and death through sin, and so death spread to all men because all sin. If you pay close attention, you actually see in verse 12 that he, he doesn't have a so also. He starts a comparison. You begin reading this and you see he's clearly starting an extended comparison. But even though the word so is there, he doesn't have a so also. It all goes with the just as. What I'm trying to say to you is what Paul does here is he picks up his thought only again in verse 18. So verse 12 carries you all the way down to verse 18. Therefore, as one trespass led to condemnation for all men, so one act of righteousness leads to justification and life for all men. Just giving you an overview here. And then verse 19 summarizes verses 12 and 18. Which means that verses 13 through 17 are kind of like a parenthesis. Very important. Very important. But kind of like a parenthesis. Let me tell you what I want to say. Let me come back to it in verse 18. Let me summarize it in verse 19. Let me bring it home in verses 20 through 21. And don't forget parenthetical statement in verses 13 through 17. Adam and Christ see the true and better Adam. You know, it really all, it's, in one sense, it's really simple. In one sense, it all comes down to this, to Adam and Christ. Hold your place here for just a moment and turn to 1 Corinthians you just have to flip over just a little bit. 1 Corinthians chapter 15. I want you to see that the Bible itself says over and over again that we should know this that you should know this morning. You should ask yourself this morning, am I in Adam or am I in Christ? You must ask yourself this morning, who is my representative? Who is my leader? In whose line do I find myself? Am I in Adam or am I in Christ? 
And the Bible, again, as I say, it puts this before us over and over again. 1 Corinthians 15, middle of verse 44. Middle of 1 Corinthians 15, 44. If there is a natural body, there is also a spiritual body. Thus it is written, the first man, Adam, became a living being. The last Adam became a life-giving spirit. But it is not the spiritual that is first, but the natural, and then the spiritual. The first man, who's that talking about? Boys and girls, anybody who's that talking about? The first man, Adam, was from the earth, a man of dust. The second man is from heaven. As was the man of dust, so also are those who are of the dust. And as is the man of heaven, so also are those who are of heaven. Just as we have borne the image of the man of dust, we shall, as believers, also bear the image of the man of heaven. Go back to verse 21 of 1 Corinthians 15. Look at this with me. For as by a man came death, by a man has come also the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam all die, so also in Christ shall all be made alive. But each in his own order, Christ the firstfruits, then at his coming those who belong to Christ. You know what a type is? The title is Adam as a type of the one who was to come. You know what a type is? A type is something or someone who, who is real uh, and who is historical, very real, but who nevertheless points forward to something greater. That's what a type is. That's my definition for you this morning of a type. It's something or someone in the Old Testament who is real and who is historical and that has significance in and of themselves, but nevertheless points forward. And so not to get into a big discussion, but I wonder if any of you know, what is, what is the fulfillment of a type called? The fulfillment of a type is called the anti-type. In other words, this passage today speaks a lot about Adam. Romans 5, 12 through 21 has a lot to say about what Adam did, listen to me, and about the results of what Adam did. But this passage is primarily a not about Adam. It is, to use that fancy word, it is about the anti-type. Adam is only a type. He points forward to the true and better Adam, to the second Adam, to the greater Adam. And so what this passage is saying is ultimately it's saying Jesus and what he did, he is so far greater than Adam. What Jesus did is so greater than Adam that he overcomes what Jesus did, the one act that Jesus did. Did you notice that language in the text? The one act that Jesus did on the cross and in his perfect life overcomes the wholesale devastation that was a result of Adam's sin. I mean, you can compare Adam and Christ. You can. But in one sense, it's like comparing a baseball player who for the season has 10 hits and one home run and five RBIs and one stolen base, comparing him to the man who has 90 hits and 95 RBIs and 40 home runs and 20 stolen bases. 
There is no comparison between those two, actually. And there is, at the end of the day, there is no comparison between Adam and Christ, even though he is saying, just as, so also. Just as, so also. You see, friends, brothers and sisters, for one thing, for one thing, it was Adam's one sin that led to universal death. But for Jesus Christ, who is the greater champion, it was from many trespasses, from a world of sin that led to his one act. You see, Adam, one man, one sin, universal death, massive sin leads to one act on the cross, one man, Jesus Christ, who is the true and better Adam, the second Adam, leads to righteousness and life and justification for all people. We sing about this. We sing about this sometimes in a hymn. Come behold the wondrous mystery. He, the perfect son of man, in his living, in his suffering, never trace nor stain of sin. See the true and better Adam come to save the hell-bound man. Christ, the great and sure fulfillment of the law, in him we stand. Well, I hope that so far from confusing you, I hope I've at least given you a little help for the overview of 12 through 21. And now what I want to do is simply look at three verses. I just simply want us to zoom in on verses 12 through 14. Can we do that for at least a few minutes? 12 through 14, let's zoom in here. Having considered point number one, Adam and Christ compared, Adam and Christ compared, point number two, Adam and Christ, our miserable position. Our miserable position. Before we see the new humanity in Christ, we must see humanity in Adam. Let me say that again. Before we see the new humanity in Christ, we must see humanity in Adam, and it is not good. This speaks to us about original sin, so we so rejoice with Preston and Karen, the Vernon family, this morning. But of course, as we've said so many times, this passage has something to say about the, the innocence or the lack thereof, sorry, little Bodhi. The innocence or the lack thereof of all babies Therefore, just as sin came into the world through one man and death through sin, and so death spread to all men because all sin, dash, pause there for just a minute. Death is not natural. Contrary to what many people say, to what we say, well, well death is just a normal part of life, Right? It's what we all say in one sense. Death is just, death is an alien intrusion into God's good world. Death is not natural. It is not natural for that for which Pastor Ray prayed for the Kraft family. That's not just the way it is in life. What it says here is, first of all, it speaks about Adam, who is the type. 
And it speaks about what? This one man. And so you can think about the heading, the heading, one man. One man and one man. And one man is the leader of this group of people. And one man, before I cut off this cord, is the leader of this group of people. For one man, Adam, it's everybody who has ever lived. For one man, Christ, it's everybody who has ever believed the gospel. It's universal in the sense of both. Both are universal, although we're clearly not talking about universal salvation. With Christ, it's universal for Jew and for Gentile, for everyone who believes. For Adam, it's universal, full stop. It's everybody. One man, verse 12, one man, sin, death, universal death, because all sinned. Now, if you just look at this, if you look at verse 12, then you see that Paul clearly is assuming some things, right? What do I mean? Here's what I mean. I mean that Paul's not speaking to people who have zero biblical knowledge, who have no Christian worldview whatsoever. Look at it. What is he assuming here? He's not going into detail. He's not giving them a Sunday school lesson. I don't mean that in a bad way. He's not giving them a lesson about Genesis 3 and Genesis 2. Genesis 2, 16 and 17, of all the trees in the garden you may eat, but of this one tree you shall not eat. What does it say? For in the day that you eat of it, you shall surely die. And then Genesis 3, 17 through 19, listen to me, even though Eve was the first one to partake and then gave to her husband, we are talking here, that's interesting, right? We're talking about Adam. Even though Eve was the first to sin, the first to partake, Adam is the leader. Adam is the leader, and you say, oh, yeah, you just, no, Adam is the leader for a very sorry uh, group of people, and that's all of us. He is the leader. He's a dubious leader who plunges us all into ruin, but he's the leader. She partook, and it says sin came into the world through one man. Who's one man? This passage is so foundational. Sin came into the world through one man. By the way, you ever heard of a man named Pelagius? Just a brief church history. Pelagius, in many ways, his teachings were heretical. The Pelagian view, all right, of this would be, yes, Adam sinned. But what what happens now is that we follow his example. You know, Adam's sin doesn't have any tight relationship to humanity, but it it did serve as a bad example. And so we also follow that example. What do you How does everyone in the world happen to follow the bad example in the Pelagian view? No, the truth of the matter is this. If you want the righteousness of God credited to your account, if you want the righteousness of Jesus Christ that you so desperately need, then you must also understand that Adam's sin is also reckoned to you. In the same way that the righteousness of Christ is imputed to believers, counted, legally declared by God, So also foundationally, first of all, see this, see this first, that sin came into the world through one man and death through sin. And so death spread to all men because all sinned, because all sinned. This is not a moral example view. It's not that there's a bad example presented and therefore everybody follows the example. It's that when Adam sinned, you and I sinned. When Adam sinned, we sinned. You got to get that. 
We are not morally neutral people. We are condemned. We live in a world where death reigns because of sin. Original sin. You, we've said it many times, right? You don't become a sinner because you sin. You sin because you are a sinner. And this passage clearly, again, as I've mentioned before, he, he, in a sense, you could go from 12 to 18 and 19 and see it even more clearly. Now, sometimes people talk and they talk about one subject and then kind of surprisingly, they pivot to another subject. So I could say, man, you know, here we are, it's July the 4th, and we are really getting into the, to the doldrums. We're really getting into what we expect, which is these hot days in Wayne County. And by the way, do any of you guys like racing? So I've transferred, and once I've started talking about the weather, I've gone from the weather to talking about NASCAR. And that's not, uh, I'm not saying that Paul totally changes here, but you see that dash at the end of verse 12. Paul is a bit notorious for doing this, and it's not a bad thing. In Ephesians chapter three, by the way, he does the same thing. He starts off, you don't have to go there. In Ephesians 3, one, he starts off with a wonderful main point. And then we might say he digresses and then he comes back to his main point later. Well, in verse 13, he's kind of pivoted to another subject, although it is related. I want to be clear to say that it is related. He starts talking about original sin. He assumes the knowledge of Genesis two and three. He's talking about one man, Adam. And then in verse 13, it's like, hey, you were talking about this. Why are you now talking about the law? Where did that come from? For sin indeed was in the world before the law was given. But sin is not counted where there is no law. Yet, verse 14, death reigned from Adam to Moses, even over those whose sinning was not like the transgression of Adam who was a type of the one who was to come. If you read it carefully, you almost see that maybe is he contradicting himself? He just said in verse 12, if you, if you look at it, he just said that sin entered the world through one man and then death through sin, death is not normal or natural. And then universal death because of universal sin. But then he says sin is not counted where there is no law. Illustrations have been given. You might think of it like this. There's a, there's a side road where there are no signs posted about the speed limit at all. And so uh, young people are accustomed to doing 80. It's not even a highway. It's a side road. And they know that they shouldn't do that. They know that not only is it dangerous, but they've seen signs at other places uh, beyond the side road that said in this county, uh, if there's no signage, you can assume that the speed limit is 45 at all places unless otherwise posted. But nevertheless, on this particular side road, people are doing 80 all the time. And then finally, they decide, you know, we're going to put up a sign and they put up a clear sign that flashes and that says, no more speeding on this road, speed limit 45 miles per hour. And then the same person who's been doing 80 there time after time having joy rides then is caught by the cops doing 80 and is the cop is able to say, although he would have been able to say it otherwise, of course, but he's able to clearly say the sign was right there. 
And in a sense, if you can see verses 13 and 14, that's what he's talking about. That's his digression. That's what he left off verse 12 to say, which it actually pertains very well. He said, you know, if you think about it, Adam, listen to me, Adam disobeyed what? An explicit command from God. You shall not eat from the fruit of this tree. That was an explicit command from God. And then way later, way later, when, Mo, when God gave the law through Moses, then you had all kinds of commands, right? Crystallized and centered in the Ten Commandments. You shall not commit adultery, for example. And what, do, what did the Israelites do and what do we do? We commit adultery. You shall not steal. And what do we, that's actually the word transgression, is you transgress, you, you go against an explicit command. And so what he's saying here in verses 13 and 14 is actually not so hard to understand. He says, you know, from the time of Adam up until Moses, there was no explicit law. There was, there was no decalogue. There were no 10 commandments from Adam to Moses. Nevertheless, there was sin and there was death. You read the Bible from Adam to Moses, he died and he died and he died and he died because sin leads to death. The wages of sin is death. And he says here in this passage, even over those whose sinning was not like the sin or the transgression of Adam, even over people, listen, who did not have a specific law in their face, nevertheless, all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Whether you're a Jew or not, whether you have the Ten Commandments and the law of God through Moses, whether you have an explicit word from God in the Garden of Eden or not, we have all sinned. Oh, and by the way, the law was given never to be a savior. Oh, no. The law was given to point to the need for a savior. The law was given to increase the trespass. The law was given to put the sign there. You see, sucker, you're going 80, but it says 45. It says no more speeding on this road. You see, I have every legal right. And the law was given graciously and lovingly by God to say, you are clearly religious person, Bible reader, unsaved praying person, whoever you are, and especially if you are religious like the Jews, you are a sinner in need of Jesus Christ. You and I, we are all in Adam by virtue of sin and by virtue of birth. We are all in Adam. The question is, are you in Christ by the new birth? Do you see? There is birth and then there is the new birth. There is Adam and then there is the second Adam. Adam was a type of the one who was to come. The end of verse 14 says, praise God. In the same way that Genesis 1 talks about heavens and earth, that's real. But there's also a new heavens and a new earth coming. Talk about Adam. Don't play around with the historicity of Adam. Don't, don't go to college and don't go to some seminaries and say, well, you know, was Adam real? Adam and Eve? No, no, no. Adam was real. But Adam is a type. And the antitype is Jesus Christ, who is the true and better Adam. 
For as in one man we all die, in one man we live, and there is righteousness, there is condemnation, or there is justification. Where are you? Who is your captain? Who is your covenant head? Who is your leader? I'll tell you who your leader is for all of us. It's Adam. But by grace, as I close, what does this passage say? What is our response? This won't take long. What Have you noticed what this passage says about our response? Well, in one sense, not much. It says, we are doomed in Adam. There you go. You're dismissed. It says we're doomed in Adam, but it also says there is a new humanity in Christ. There's one line that we're all in, and by grace alone, we can be in this other line. It says that we will reign through Jesus Christ. We will rule the world through Je- Believers will rule the world. It's been pointed out that you might think when he says death reigned, you would think he would go on to say, so grace reigned, but he doesn't say that. The opposite of death reigning is Christians reigning. That's what this passage says. And perhaps most fundamentally, it says there in verses 16 and 17, Look at the middle of verse 17. Much more will those who receive the abundance of grace and the free gift of righteousness reign in life through the one man, Jesus Christ. You've heard this said before, perhaps. It's a free gift. We must receive the free gift. We can't receive the free gift on our own. This must be enabled by grace, but it's a free gift. Have you received the free gift? The free gift is far superior than the trespass. There's your response. Verse 17 is much like John chapter one. He came to his own and his own did not receive him, but to all who did receive him, he gave them the right to become children of God. Receive the free gift of righteousness through Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ bore the wrath of God on the cross. The holy anger of God came down on the head of his beloved son on the cross. Therefore, he justifies us. Therefore, he takes our sin. And he gives us his righteousness. But not only does he take our sin and give us his righteousness, we first have to understand our problem, which is that we are sinners in Adam, who is only a type. Let us pray together as we begin to think about the Lord's Supper this morning. We'll take a brief moment of silence. Lord, thank you that even recently we were able to look as a congregation in Genesis chapters 1 through 3. See how if we, if we did not have those chapters and what you tell us and what you reveal to us, then we have no foundation for Christianity at all. Lord, thank you for what Romans tells us. This one man, that even his act of disobedience is far surpassed by the one act of obedience of another man. 
We thank you for the story of Adam, the true story of Adam, and we thank you that he is a type. We thank you that he points forward to the Lord Jesus Christ. We thank you for his obedience. We thank you for the perfect life of the Lord Jesus Christ. We thank you for his sacrificial death. Thank you, Lord Jesus, that you laid down your life for us. Thank you that, in a very real sense, you spread the table of communion before us this morning. We praise you in Jesus' name. Amen.